Thank you for tuning in to the podcast of Western Heights Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. We exist to exalt Christ, equip the church, and engage the community. For more info, visit whbcwaco.org. This morning, we come to the last chapter of Hosea. Yay! Have I said yay? 16 sermons out of 14 chapters. So this is the, the last sermon of our series, God's Amazing Love. And I know, I know what you're thinking, because I said the same thing. Where's the love? <laughs> Come on, I want to feel the love. Where's it at, Jesus? I want to know where it's at. And we, we look at the, the passage of Hosea, we look at all 14 chapters. It's, it's a passage of condemnation. It's a passage of judgment. It's a passage that God says, you know, this is what's going to happen. And the thing we often forget when we look at a book like Hosea is we forget that we are just like Israel. We sin, we live in rebellion, and we live in disobedience, and we are under judgment. That's us. That's who we are as individuals. So where do we go? Knowing that we're under judgment, where do we go? The only place we go is God's love, and we've got to know what it means. There's nothing explicit in this last sermon that tells us when Hosea preached it. Uh, It may have been the final days of the siege with Assyria, It may have been uh, right soon after it had fallen and the Assyrians were taking them into captivity. Uh, We have no ways of knowing when it was. But the thing that amazed me as I looked at chapter 14 the last couple of weeks is that there's, there's no tone of vindictiveness in the passage. There's nothing like Hosea said this, well, I told you this was going to happen. You should have listened to me. I told you. He doesn't say that. Nowhere in the passage. Instead, what he gives to the people that may be being deported into exile as they're leaving their homeland, which they've known for hundreds of years, is that God will not abandon his people. He gives them one last message of hope. He says, God is going to restore you. God is going to, to do something amazing in you. And God is going to reveal his amazing love to the people of Israel one more time. So we're going to look at Hosea chapter 14 as we conclude this series on God's amazing love by under the heading, How to Experience God's Amazing Love. You follow along as I read Hosea 14. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all our sins and receive us graciously that we may offer the fruit of our lips. Assyria cannot save us. We will not mount war horses. We will never again say our gods to what our own hands have made. For in you the fatherless find compassion. I will heal their waywardness and love them freely. For my anger has turned away from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. He will blossom like a lily. Like a cedar of Lebanon, he will send down his roots. His young shoots will grow. His splendor will be like an olive tree. His fragrance like a cedar of Lebanon. Men will dwell again in his shade. He will flourish like the grain. He will blossom like a vine. And his fame will be like the wine from Lebanon. O Ephraim, what more have I to do with idols? I will answer him and care for him. I am like a green pine tree. Your fruitfulness comes from me. Who is wise? He will realize these things. 
Who is discerning? He will understand them. The ways of the Lord are right. The righteous walk in them, but the rebellious stumble in them. I'm going to give you five truths on how we can come back, how we can be restored, how, can we, how we can experience God's amazing love. First, accept personal responsibility for sin. Accept personal responsibility for sin. He, he begins to describe the process of returning back to God and even remaining in His fellowship. Look at verse 1. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. The first thing he, he says, the first step in coming back to God is accepting personal responsibility for departing from Him. You made a deliberate choice to turn away from God. And when we have stumbled, we move away from God. When we turn away from God. It's not natural for us to say, it's my fault. You see, when we, when we mess up and we make a mistake and we stumble, it's just not natural for us to say, oh, I did that. We look to blame someone else. It's that person's fault. It's society's fault. It's the education system's fault. It's my parenting's fault. I was not properly potty, potty trained when I was little. We look for anything we can to pass the buck on to somebody else. But God's Word says you need to take personal responsibility for your sin. You need to take personal responsibility for what is happening in your life. I know that goes against the grain. It goes against the flow. As I, if I listen to the news today, I think the problems going on in the world are my fault. That I'm one responsible. But it says, no, you are responsible. We as individuals personally are responsible for it. We blame others. Look at our circumstance. We rationalize our sin. But God wants us to acknowledge our sin. He wants us to acknowledge that our sins are our downfall. And Hosea is very direct in what he wants us to say. Acknowledge your sins have been your downfall. The word used for sin here means habit patterns that get ingrained into someone's life where they begin to affect you longer and longer. That's what he's talking about with that word sin. It's habits formed in your life that get ingrained into you. And the Lord's repeated offers to the people of Israel was repent, repent. And turn back to me, but they kept refusing to change their ways. Even though he had offered it time after time and again. We all know what it's like to sense a distance from the Lord. We, we've all, well, maybe y'all haven't been there, but I've been there. Those times in life when I just feel like God is not as close as I'd like him to be. You know, that, that I feel like there's a distance. You know, your prayer becomes strained. You don't know how to pray. You don't know what to pray for. Your life seems to be under stress. Your life is a lot more stressful. You can't seem to handle things the way you could. Your hearts are restless. You can't seem to find the peace and the tranquility that you want in your life. And the danger is that instead of solving the problem, you get comfortable with it. You just begin to accept that condition in your life. And then you begin to settle for spiritual mediocrity. He said, I guess this is as good as it's ever going to get for me. I guess this is a story of my life. And, and, and you feel the emptiness. But then you begin to seek to satisfy the emptiness elsewhere in your life. In your work, in relationships, in alcohol, in drugs, in sex, whatever it might be. You, you seek to feel that emptiness in you in any way but where it's supposed to be. And then life crumbles. 
And we are brought face to face with the person we have become. And Hosea's words come home. Hosea's words come home and says that we stumble and we fall because we have wandered from God. We have wandered away from Him. And all He wants us to do is remember, we were the ones that moved, not Him. We're the ones that changed, not God, because He's unchangeable. He says, acknowledge that your sins have been your downfall. Accept personal responsibility for your sins. Second truth. Make an honest confession. Look at verse 2. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to Him, forgive all our sins and receive us graciously that we may offer the fruit of our lips. Bottom line, here's what it says. Tell God the truth. Tell Him the truth. Have a personal encounter with the Lord, not through your offerings, not through rituals, but with conversation. He says he used words that expose the true condition of your heart. Israel had a long history of using religious ritual in the sacrificial system to try to appease God and try to say, this. okay, well, we're doing all the right things. There's no change in our life, but we're going through the ritual of doing it. Matter of fact, Hosea 5, 6 expresses their condition. When they go with their flocks and herds to seek the Lord, they will not find him. He has withdrawn himself from them. Why is that? Because there was no, no validity. There was no truth in what they were doing. It was just actions, but it wasn't, they really weren't committed to it. I remember when I served in Arizona, I had five guys that I developed a relationship in the church. These were people that were outside of the church. Their wives attended the church. Uh, only one of these guys came to church sporadically, but I had developed a relationship with these five. I visited them every, every time I could. I visited with them, sat in their homes, talked with them about the Bible, talked to them about Scripture and stuff like that. One of the men that I built a relationship with was a man by the name of Gilbert Pogani. I don't think he's going to be listening to my sermons. So I think I could use his name. Uh, his name was Gilbert Pogani. Uh, matter of fact, I did a Google search this week of Gilbert's name to see what happened to Gilbert and found out that his lovely wife passed away in February of this year. One of the godliest ladies I ever knew, Linda Pogani. He's still alive. Anyway, Gilbert was a fascinating man. He uh, was hidden by, he was hidden from the Germans during, during, uh, Germ during World War II in Hungary. He was a Jew, grew up in Hungary, and he was hidden from the Nazis in World War II. Finally escaped to America with his family. And he uh, went to Carson Newman College in, in Tennessee and graduated uh, uh, with a degree in biology from there. Went on to get, eventually get his doctorate. And uh, during a revival at uh, 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 Carson Newman College, he made a profession of faith. Uh, and you know, that seemed to be it. And so he, uh, he, he got involved in, in church with his wife and uh, eventually became a professor at Northern Arizona University where he taught biology at Northern, Arizona, Northern University of Arizona. Fascinating man. And I've sat there and talked with him for hours. Um, anyway, uh, long story short, Gilbert eventually turned his back on God and even wrote a book refuting the existence of God. And he eventually told his lovely wife, he said, well, I really didn't make a profession of faith. I just did that to get people off my back. Just did it to get people off my back. You see what happened? There was no true confession. There was no true honest confession of who he was. It was just ritual that he went through. The people of Israel had to be sincere in 
their words. God says, I'm not going to accept your ritual. You need to bring to me words that express your heart. Tell me who you are. Tell me what's going on in your life. You see, God wants a relationship. Hear me. God wants a relationship with you, not religious activity. He wants a relationship, not ritual. And it's an awesome experience to tell God what we have done, honestly, and confess it to Him. And when you do that, you feel that release that God gives you. And when you do that, when you verbally confess to God, you verbally give an honest confession to God, guess what it does? It prepares you for a life-changing encounter with God. That's what it does. In many ways, the gospel is bad news. <laughs> you bet you never heard that before, because I mean, the actual word means good news. The gospel is bad news because it reveals how bad we really are. You see, the gospel can't be good news until it first tells you how bad you are. And then once you understand how bad you are, and then you say, oh, but look, there's a way I can get out of my badness. And that comes through the good news of Jesus Christ. But before you can ever experience the good news of Jesus Christ, you got to experience the bad news that there's nothing you can do to ever get right with God through any religious activity, ritual, or performance that you do. There's nothing you can do. So it becomes that bad news. You see, when we have nothing to offer God but our stuttered confession from a broken heart, that is when we offer the fruit of the sacrifice of our lips. That's when it becomes genuine in our lives. And that's what God is waiting for. That's what God is longing for His people to say to Him. Nothing else we can offer God. We can't barter Him with good works. We can't say, but look at all the things that I've done. As a matter of fact, there will come a time, there will come a time when we might stand before God. Don't you see all the things I did for you, God? I did all these miracles and I preached all this and did all this. And God will say, depart from me. I never knew you. I never knew you. He's not interested in activity for activity's sake. He's interested in a relationship. That's what David came to find out. David who was steeped in religion. And David was a man after God's own heart. As we studied that last year or two years ago, whatever it was. David was a man that was pursuing God. Flawed. Full of fault in his life. And after David had had committed adultery with Bathsheba, and then he killed her husband Uriah in, in the battle. He finally came to realization who he was a God, and he cried out in Psalm 51, 17, one of the greatest psalms of confession there is. He said these words, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. David came to realize that what God wants from us is confession of who we are as individuals. So we accept personal responsibility. We make an honest confession. Third, we renounce every false God. Look at verse 3. You've got to turn away from the old ways. Verse 3 says, Assyria cannot save us. We will, not, we will not mount war horses. We will never again say our gods to what our hands have made. For in you the fatherless find compassion. Hosea tells the people that they say, Tell God that, they have, that you have heard his judgment on, on your false beliefs and your false practices that you used to embrace. Tell God, I, we've heard you. We know what you're saying, God. We get it. Confess to him the things that, that lured you away. 
And here's what he's trying to say. The things that lured you away in the past, you can't just repent. You've got to relinquish. You've got to relinquish those things. If we repent without relinquishment, guess what? It's not going to change us. It's not enough to repent of your sins and repent of your past. You have to relinquish control of all those things that led you down that path to begin with. Hosea warns them time and time again. Put away your false idols. Put away those things that hinder you. Agree with God that those things are detrimental to your life and put them aside. He mentions Assyria. Time and time again, the people of Israel always went to Assyria for refuge. Assyria, save us. Syria, save us. He said, you've got to renounce that. Then he talks about, we will not mount our war horses. He's saying, we're not going to trust the chariots. We're not going to trust the horses anymore. We're not going to trust in our ability to save ourselves. We're not going to trust in our ability to defend ourselves. We're not going to trust in our financial. We're not going to trust in our military resources. All the shrines that we once had are going to be torn down. Every object that we used to worship is going to be rejected. And once you do that, once you repent, and once you relinquish that control of all those false gods, the result is a renewal of your intimacy with God. How does he describe it? Look at what he says. In you, the fatherless find compassion. He said, it's in you that you find, it's in Christ, it's in God that we find forgiveness. It's in God that we find the compassion that we long for. He says, I want you to see yourself as an orphan without a father, and you run to God. And he provides for you. A lady that I led to Christ several years ago, she came to me one time and, and unsolicited. She said, I just want you to know that I've decided to break ties with all those people that bring me down. They are a hindrance to my relationship with God. And I want to be right with God. And so she made a concerted effort to, to break away from those things that chained her to her past. And those places she used to go. Of course, for a preacher, that's words of, of encouragement because they hear it. You know, so many people hear what the preacher says. But you know what they do? They walk out and say, boy, I wish somebody would have been here to hear that. God's Word speaks to us. It speaks to us. We need to be honest and make an analysis of our own life. What is it that lures us away from God? We need to ask repeatedly, who or what has the potential to hinder my relationship with God? Who or what is it that will drag me into the gutter instead of me lifting them out of the gutter. Who is it? You know what God would say? Remove yourself from that situation. Remove yourself from that environment. Remove yourself from that choice. That's how you're going to get assurance. That's how you're going to get security in God. Instead of getting assurance and security in these other things that will hurt you, you need to pursue God in a relationship with Him. So you renounce every false God. Fourth, claim God's promise of restoration. True acceptance of God. Once you've truly been accepted by God, it's followed by healing and it's followed by restoration. Know that God will accept your broken hearts. 
And when he accepts your broken hearts, he's going to give you new life. That's what he's talking about in verses 4 through 8. Look at verse 4. He's talking about a word of grace in this passage. I will heal their waywardness and love them freely, for my anger has turned away from them. Beautiful poetry. It's just beautiful poetry in the Hebrew language, but it's full of promise. He's talking about in this situation, the broken covenant that they had with God is going to be healed. It's going to be restored. And not only is it going to be that, God is going to do something in them that they could not do in themselves. He's going to build into them loyalty, and He's going to build into them faithfulness to Him and to one another. He said, I'm going to do that. I will heal their waywardness, and I will restore within them, hidden within them, is this idea that I'm going to solve this problem in them. I'm going to take care of it. And they will, be able, uh, they will experience love that's given generously and, and love that's given freely to others. And it says that God's anger is turned away from them. Listen, that same redeeming love that Hosea talks about, we experience in Jesus. That same love that Hosea mentions in the Old Testament, you know, several hundred years before the time of Jesus, we experience in Jesus. Because Jesus, the great mediator between God and man, came to restore us into a relationship with God. And what we see going on in verse 4 is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ when He heals our waywardness and He loves us freely. And His anger, God's anger has been turned away from us because Jesus Christ paid the price that you could never pay the great mediator. The Bible says it this way, and I think it's 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, that God is on one side and man is on the other side. And Jesus, the mediator, bridges the gap between the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man. Wow. Wow. He's the bridge that gets us to God. Jesus Christ paid the price that we could never pay. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verses 17 and then verse 21. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. I want you to look at these words. This is, this is hard for you to grasp. God made... Uh, go back, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... Here's the analogy. When you are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, God puts you in Jesus he puts you in Jesus. And he says, if you're in Jesus, if you're in Christ, guess what? You're a new creation. You are, you are reformed. You are changed. Your life is different. He says what? The old has gone. The new has come. Your old way of life, your old way of living, your old thought patterns, your old desires, all of that is gone. It's dead. It's passed away. It died with Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. And because of that, if you are in Christ, you hear me on this, my friends, if you are in Christ, you are new. And you won't go back to the old. You won't resort to the old. Why? Because you are a new creation, transformed and changed in Christ. But it all comes back to that first phrase. If anyone is in Christ, his life is changed. But he goes on. Verse 21, God made him, how did he do it? This is how he says it, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him 
we might become the righteousness of God. Again, who's it in? It's in Him. It's not in what we do. It's not in our rituals. It's not in anything we do. It's all in Him. If we are in Christ, guess what? Then we become the righteousness of God in Christ. He's the one that does it. All of that, all of that is experienced, comes true in Hosea chapter 14, verse 4. That's what he's talking about as we look at it through the lens of the New Testament. And then just chapter verses 5 through 7 of Hosea describe these blessings. It's, it uses an imagery from the word of nature. It talks about new life. It talks about abundance. It talks about fruitfulness. Listen to what he says. I will be like the dew to Israel. He will blossom like a lily. Like a cedar of Lebanon, he will send down his roots. His young shoots will grow. His splendor will be like an olive tree. His fragrance like a cedar of Lebanon. Men will dwell again in his shade. He will flourish like the grain. He will blossom like a vine. And his fame will be like the wine from Lebanon. Fruitfulness. Blessed. Prosperity is what he's experiencing in that. Basically, it's just healing and restoration. That intimacy with God is restored. It pictures how God's presence will bring Israel spiritual abundance, bring spiritual blessing, and Israel will be what God intended for it to be. Notice what it says. Men will dwell again in their shade. People will come to Israel to find rest and find assurance and find comfort. Once again, God's original intent. God's original intent for them. These spiritual promises are, are given to us. Look at verse 8. Oh, Ephraim. Oh, Ephraim, what more have I to do with idols? I will answer him and care for him. I am like a green pine tree. Your fruitfulness comes from me. That ends me with, with him means a distance from idolatry. Hear me on that. This is what he's saying in verse 8. He's saying that once you are in a relationship with God, you no longer have a relationship with the idols. You no longer have a relationship with those things that originally brought you down. God is the only one who can give protection. He says, like a giant tree, God says, I will protect you. I will protect you. And these spiritual promises are ours as well. We are called to renounce everything, everything that keeps us from God. And we ought to trust in God only. Trust in Him only. We are called to be dependent people. Can you believe that? Amen. Not dependent upon the government. Dependent upon God. We are called to, to be dependent on Him. Sometimes, though, we feel like Humpty Dumpty, don't we? Uh, we feel like we're broken in pieces. And, and no matter what we do, all the king's horses and all the king's men can't put us back together again. And we hear the stories like this, we, we look at this and we say, we cannot believe that someone is able to fix us. We can't believe that someone is able to make us whole. We just can't believe it. We can't believe that verses 5 through 8 could be ours with the healing and the restoration that God wants to give. We struggle with that as believers. Just confess it to yourself. I know I have. I've struggled with this in my own life. There was a time when I was called to the church. 
And then that church decided they didn't want my, me to be called there, so they released me. Uh, well, I don't say they released me. They, they forced me out. Let's just put it that way. Uh, it hurt. It hurt. Because I knew in my heart God had called me to that church to do whatever it is He'd had me to do. And suddenly I found myself cut off from ministry. I found myself cut off from my spiritual family. I found me cut off from my ability to support my family. I found me cut off from friends. And I found myself watching a, a daughter whom I loved with all my heart drift further and further and further away from God. I was hurt. I was devastated. And I didn't think God was ever going to restore me to the ministry. I thought my time of service was over. I didn't think God would ever get me back to where I felt my passion was, where I felt my gifts were, where I felt my calling was. And I had to come to a point when I had acknowledged my own failures and I had to acknowledge my own problems and I had to acknowledge that to God and seek repentance and forgiveness from those that I might have hurt or that I did hurt. And then restoration slowly came. Slowly came. Eventually God did restore me back into the pastorate. He did restore me back into that aspect of my life. But I'll be honest with you. I still struggle. There's still times that you, you doubt and you struggle and you wonder what it is. And I'm here to tell you that I have feelings some of you the same way. You wonder, can God ever restore me? Did God ever rejuvenate me? Can God do that in my life? And the answer is yes, He can. He can. He can do it. And a consistent theme throughout scriptures, God loves to give second chances. But you know what? He gives third chances too. And I always remind people, you say, well, I don't deserve a chance. I heard this in a song the other day. I don't deserve a second chance. Well, you didn't deserve a first chance. All right? So if God can give you a first chance, He can give you a second chance, and He can give you a third chance. And I want you to know today, He can give you a fourth because that's who He is. It is his, his nature to heal our waywardness. It's in His nature to change us. That's who He is. God accepts our broken hearts. And He'll accept your broken heart as well. Finally, let's look at the last part. Remember what they are. Accept personal responsibility. Make an honest confession. Renounce every false God. Claim God's promise of restoration. Finally, surrender your will to God. Look at verse 9. Who is wise? He will realize these things. Who is discerning? He will understand them. The ways of the Lord are right. The righteous walk in them, but the rebellious stumble in them. He comes to the conclusion. He provides that final step that we have to do is surrender your will to God. The wise, spiritually discerning, upright person has discovered the main thing in life. A few years ago, I watched a movie called City Slickers. I don't know if anybody's seen it. Uh, City Slickers in it. and uh, the, One of the characters in the, in the story is named Curly. And, and Curly always issued out his cowboy wisdom to everybody. And he always, he said this. He said, there's one, he always helped his finger. There's one thing in life and you have to figure out what it is. Now, he never tells you what it is. He says, 
you have to figure out what it is. Hosea is telling us, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the one thing that's right. The one thing it is. Here's what he says. Underline it. Highlight it. The ways of the Lord are right. The ways of the Lord are right. That's the one thing. The ways of the Lord are right. Very simply, there are only two ways in life. Either walk in obedience to God's revelation in Scripture or stumble over it and fall. That's it. That's it. I was just hearing an interview this past week. Uh, creation scientists were saying, they said that, you know, everybody comes to the Scripture with a preconceived lens of interpretation. He said, as creationists, we come to the lens that says that, that God is behind everything and His Word reveals that to us. He said, whereas an atheist or an agnostic comes to us that, that nature defines itself, God has no role in it. And so you look at the Scripture and you automatically are reading into it what you wanted to read. That's impossible. That can't happen. Whereas a, a guy who looks at the lens of faith, he says, I may not understand it, but I'm going to examine it a little longer till I can justify it. Or I can make it, I can understand it clearly. And they would say that the, the reason, you know, because an atheist, an agnostic scientist looks at the world and says, how can there be a loving God when there's so much evil and sin in the world? He says, whereas a Christian scientist looks at it and says, well, it's because of the fall. Because of the fall, everything happened and changed the course of the universe. But it depends on your view of what you're looking at. But in this passage, he says, the ways of the Lord are right. He says, if you don't want to walk in them, what happens? You will stumble in them. Stumble means fall to destruction and fall to death. Listen, there is hell to pay in the life of those who stumble. There is hell to pay in the life of those who stumble. We can choose to ignore the God's Word. We can choose to trivialize it. We can choose to manage it. We can choose to make it mean what we want it to mean. Or, another alternative, we can learn to walk in obedience. In other words... Adjust your life to God's Word. Don't adjust God's Word to your life. That's what he's saying. Hosea chose to end with a passionate appeal, not to our emotions, not to our intellect, but to our will. And that's difficult. Because it's ultimately a choice, my friends. I'm reminded of the story of Joshua at the very end of his life after they conquered the promised land. Joshua knew he was about to go the way of the Lord, uh, go the way of Moses and, and go on to be in the presence of God. And, and he made this statement to the children of Israel. He said, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. It's a choice that you make. You can choose to live by God's Word or choose not to live by God's Word. But whatever decision you make, it's your choice. David Hubbard, the former uh, president of Fuller Seminary, was asked this question, why do so few scientists and philosophers come to faith in Jesus Christ? This was his answer. I love it. The reason so few scientists and philosophers come to faith in Jesus Christ is the same reason that so few prize fighters and ditch diggers come to faith. They don't want God to be in control of their lives. It's that simple. You see, it has, it's difficult because when God is in control of your life, guess what? That means you're giving up 
control. And that's hard. That's difficult. It has nothing to do with your intellect. It has nothing to do with your emotional makeup. It all has to do with your will. Are you willing to give it to God? Hosea's final sermon calls us to return to our holy God in repentance. He's speaking about, he's condemning the shallowness of Christian faith without personal surrender to truth. Hear me on that. It's pivotal. If you say you have faith in God and you have faith in Jesus Christ and you have a shallow view of Scripture and a shallow view of truth, he said, you can't do that. Because this is the way you alter your life to the faith that you say you profess. And he lovingly confronts us with the great cost of being chosen. Because you are chosen by God, there is responsibility to live the way God would have you to live. We ought to see ourselves clearly and honestly and cry out for Calvary to experience grace with greater healing than ever before. I've been singing a song all week. I wish I could find a song. It's Calvary. That's the place where Jesus bled and died. And it's there that sin has, sin has lost his power at Calvary. I've been singing that. I, I, I have bits and pieces of it, but I can't remember all of it. Calvary. 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 It's there. That sin has lost its power at Calvary. Doesn't matter where you've been or what you've ever done. Jesus, He still loves you and calls you to believe in Calvary. That's the place where Jesus bled and died. That's the place where sin has lost its power at Calvary. Do you know that? Do you know that? When you come to Calvary, when you come to the cross, guess what? That's when you really experience God's amazing love for you. In a moment, we want to give you a chance to respond to what you've heard. Maybe the songs you sung, the prayers that were prayed, a message that was preached. Or more importantly, a word that was read. What is God's design for your life? First design, God wants to be your father. He wants you to turn from your sins and turn to him, turn to Christ. That's what he would long for you to do. For others of you, you need to recommit your life. Turn away from your idols. Turn away from the things that hinder you in your relationship with God. Cast them aside and turn to Christ. For others of you, maybe you need a church home, a place where you can serve, a place where you can be loved and be ministered to, but also a place where you can love and minister. We would love to have you come and be a part of this fellowship of believers. Brother Kip's going to come and lead us in a closing song. I, I, I went a little over today, but uh, that's okay. We'll make it up next week. Next week, we're going to experience the Lord's Supper. So be here as we engage in the Lord's Supper together. Kip's going to lead us. Would you stand with me as I close this in a word of prayer? Josh is going to come up. Marcia will make her way down. We'll be here for you. If you want to pray, you want to talk, we'll be here for you. Father God, we come before you this morning. Thank you for this day. 
Thank you, Father, for this time that you allow us to be here today. Father, we do ask that you heal our waywardness. Father, we have such a tendency in our lives to walk away from you. Lord, I don't think any of us deliberately choose to run. But Father, we just walk. And Father, the further we walk, the more distance we put between you and us. Oh God, call us home today. Father, help us to experience your amazing love that was exhibited for us in a cross at Calvary. Touch our hearts this morning, Father. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.